Welcome to Aquifer's Educator Connection Podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Robbins. Today I'm speaking with Regina Welke and Emily McSparren about how they're using Aquifer cases to generate meaningful discussions about social determinants of health. Regina and Emily are assistant professors and clinical coordinators in the Physician Assistant Program at DeSales University. They created a journal club series that provides students opportunities to learn how patient health outcomes are influenced by factors such as implicit bias, language and literacy, and income. Students work through aquifer cases, read journal articles, and engage in preceptor-facilitated discussion. Emily and and Regina, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me about the way that you've been using aquifer cases. Uh, Well, thanks so much, Lynn. It really is so great to be here and to be able to share some of our experiences with you. Before we jump into our conversation, could you tell me a little bit about the teaching you do? We're both clinical coordinators, so we work primarily with our second-year students who are out on rotation. And briefly, tell me, you decided to collaborate on an educational initiative to integrate social determinants of health into your curriculum? The events surrounding uh, George Floyd's death really brought this to the forefront when we knew as a program we wanted to do better by our students and our students we're reaching out saying, we want to do more. Let's take a deeper dive into what are all the other factors that come into play in healthcare. We were being a little bit more intentional with incorporating some of these types of cultural competency, culture and healthcare type cases at that time. You said you got together, you had a mind meld, and then you implemented. So why don't you give me a picture of everything that happened? Uh, We first decided we wanted to kind of model this like a journal club. We split the class into smaller groups with each clinical coordinator teaching individually, but all kind of following the same guideline. We looked through the aquifer cases and saw what we could, how we could shape that and mold that into something that would be meaningful for our students. We then uh, would go through the cases and find a journal article that was embedded in the case that really spoke to what it is we were trying to, I don't say necessarily teach, but to have a broader discussion about during um, those meetings that we had with our small groups of students. We would then uh, notify the group. We would say, great, we're going to meet this time, this date. This is the case you need to work through and ha- and have them work through like a traditional aquifer case. They would work through the whole case. They would type their summary statement. They would work through the lab work. They would complete the entire case, which we were checking to make sure they were doing so. And then um, we would send them the article to review. They would then come to the scheduled meeting time. We would start by having the students present orally to us as if they would be presenting on rotation to an attending or to a preceptor. And uh, we would then offer feedback from the other students to say what what went well with that presentation, what should they have added, what are some things that you, you might have wanted to hear if someone was presenting this to you. And then we would kind of dive uh, into, did you see cases like this on rotation? And then we would work through and kind of let it flow naturally to the the article that we had assigned and they would start talking about how they felt about it. They would start talking about areas that they would want to see improved. Um, They've all had a research methods course and they'd say, well, I didn't really like how this felt like a little biased or I didn't like the sample that they used. Um, 
it felt like they could have done this differently with the study groups. And so it, it led to those discussions as well. They were using critical thinking and as they're looking at research. And then we would incorporate different aspects. And I know that something we used uh, embedded in the case was the self-reflection tool where they could work down through the questions that Aquifer had provided in the case. And then that was something we used to spur discussion as well and get them to really maybe examine some implicit biases that they had. And we, as faculty, also shared our own personal experiences, which I think made them feel safe to share theirs. So you said you did a lot of talking about implicit bias. I think we bandy that term about, but People use it fairly specifically, scientifically. So, you know, term definition and that kind of stuff. Did you go through all of that? Yes. And I will say that that self-reflection tool was very helpful. I recall very vividly a student uh, saying uh, very openly, candidly, and the the Zoom conversation, he's like, I don't have any implicit biases, (laughs) so I don't know why I have to do this. And... (laughs) And that's one of those moments as an educator, you're like, well, we have some work to do here. Um, And I think by the end of the discussion, I think he had some time to reflect hearing his classmates say, well, here are some implicit biases that I carry in with me or that I've had to address or that I've found myself thinking and going, well, why do I think that? The self-reflection tool works through different topics. And the first one is communication. How do you prefer to communicate? Verbally, written, then it goes down through spatial needs, social organizations, time considerations, environmental control, and healthcare. And then it talks about what your beliefs are regarding mm-hmm. the healthcare system spiritual beliefs, how they impact your view on healthcare. It lets you sit with yourself. And then as a group, it allowed them to kind of interact with each other and see how they differed. We also, there was a journal article we used called Implicit Bias in Healthcare Professionals. And that was really helpful. I think it would be really helpful if you could walk me through a specific case that you used. What did that look like? This, so this is the what is now called the social determinants of health case number two, um, and it involves um, a young child, a two-year-old who presents with a fever, and you know the 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 family does not speak English or English very well, and so there is a, a case of the student being asked to go see the patient, and also then having to present to a resident, and then there you know the attending comes in, and the resident and the attending do things a little bit differently. So the case itself, I thought was a great to work through medically. You know, we got to talk a lot about how, how pediatric patients with a fever present and, you know, kind of going through that part of the case. Um, but then, you know, it, it dives deeper into what do you do when uh, two providers that you're working with are in disagreement about the approach. Do you speak up? Do you not? Uh, And so we talked a lot about your role as a student in these types of cases. But I think the biggest takeaway our students got, at least in my small group at that point, we talked a lot about the use of interpreters and how valuable it is to get the appropriate interpreter for your patient and how much of a difference that makes in your patient's outcomes. Emily, did you want to add anything? We can all empathize uh, as clinicians when you are busy and you have a full schedule and you might just rely on the patient's family member to tell you what's going on. And that led us down some paths of ethical discussions of 
that doesn't, they're not always necessarily relaying what the patient is trying to tell you and relying on someone else's voice is not letting the patient have their own voice. And, you know, they reported some, some naughty things they saw (laughs) and that lets us educate them in a way to say, you're going to see good and bad things. And you want to take with you the good and you want to leave the bad, but knowing the difference between the two is really the point of your clinical year is kind of navigating that. And these meetings and discussions allowed us to have those types of conversations. And I love that you said that it gives students a chance to talk about, you know, how you navigate if one person who's supposed to be role modeling role models bad behavior, as you said, or maybe not so good behavior, (laughs) and the other does it the way that you think is right. Do you feel like your learners felt empowered? I feel like they left, you know, these cases feeling more empowered. And I think more realizing the effect that it can have on their patients. I think that they were empowered to speak up. We didn't just use the social determinants of health cases for these discussions. We pulled out a few of the family practice cases, I think even uh, one of the geriatrics cases, and, you know, tried to weave in, you know, whether it was an ethical topic or addressing health disparities. There's one that comes to mind of uh, a, a Black patient who was pregnant. The case she was mentioning was um, a, a Black pregnant patient, and that allowed us to highlight higher rate of Black maternal mortality um, in this country, the higher C-section rate, the higher complication rate for minority pregnant patients in this country. Um, And we found a a great article to uh, support that case. You've both done a really great job of articulating the importance of interacting with your learners around these cases. I'm sort of curious, what would your advice be since you said you have some lessons learned from hard knocks. I think we've learned a lot along the way. I think when we first implemented this, we threw a bunch of cases at the students and said, complete these by next week. And, you know, we've learned that that's not really the way that these cases were meant to be utilized. So I think number one would be being mindful of how many cases you are, you know, giving your students. So you know, come up with a little bit of a formula, a little bit of a number, depending on the rotation and, you know, the numbers of patients that they're seeing. So I think volume would be the first thing I would say we have learned. Um, but then, you know, just, you know, like like we had said, um, bringing it back to a small group and having these discussions with them. If you're looking to have these small group discussions and have your students interact and talk about what they've seen on rotation, definitely wait a few rotations uh, till they've had a little bit of clinical experience. Because when we did this with our second cohort, they were like, we've never seen this. I don't know. Um, so it wasn't quite as fruitful. Um, something else I think we we learned as we moved through the cases were to shuffle the groups, adding that different dynamic of um, different students and different responses and different opinions, I think allows people to kind of explore themselves, explore some some perspectives that they hadn't heard previously. Um, and just getting some some fresh perspective, fresh opinion, I thought was very meaningful as well. And also meaningful for us. It got it allowed us to get to know our students a little bit better too. And it was nice to see new faces and and a whole new dynamic of how they interacted with each other when you had a new uh, set of students in front of you. 
Well, that is so interesting that you said that because I'm going to challenge you on one thing, and that is the students are really talking about things that they might feel uncomfortable speaking with in front of other people. So how did you make it a safe learning space? Because sometimes people insist on having set groups because over time, trust builds. I I think our experiences as providers really helped them. In my group, I would share experiences that I had had relevant to the case that we were discussing. If no, if no one felt like they wanted to speak up, I would say, well, here's what happened to me, or this was an experience I had. So I think being vulnerable with our students in that way really helped them to open up. You feel the same way, Emily? Uh, yes, agree? I I agree. I can pretty much guarantee you that none of us would have forced a student to volunteer anything they weren't comfortable sharing in the group setting. We did encourage participation. Sometimes we would reach out, like we'd say, if everyone's sitting there staring, I'd say, so, okay, so how many of you witnessed um, an interpreter? Hands would go up and I'm like, does anybody want to just start the conversation about what did you experience? What did that look like? How was that interaction? And then just getting them to start slowly and then building up to maybe some of the heavier questions and content that we had, I think kind of helped build that trust. They looked forward to this time where it wasn't just about facts and memorizing medicine and (laughs) what do I need to know for the test? This was something where they could just come express themselves. Oh, they get to learn from professionals about the other dimensions of being a professional. So you said something that sounded very much to me like setting ground rules. Would you recommend that? Yes, we we actually did start our small groups with some of those ground rules. Respecting each other's opinions, not speaking over each other. And, you know, we were all in the Zoom world. Uh, so we actually implement something throughout our program. When you want to speak, you know, you raise, raise your hand and cross your fingers. So yes, we... I, we, we definitely laid some ground rules for the student as to what the expectations were in these small groups. I think we as educators and providers learned from our students. And in these settings, um, you know, it, it just, it was so evident that, uh, you know, they, they were teaching us something. And mm-hmm. I think that that was a really um, enriching thing for us. And we looked forward to these small groups, I think, just as much as, as our students did. Well, I have to say, I really appreciate your taking the time to share these stories with me. I think you you did have some really powerful moments in your classrooms. And so kudos to you for coming up with this model. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, it was a team effort and it took the students participating as well. You were very grateful they were open and vulnerable as well. Thanks for joining us this week for Aquifer's Educator Connection podcast. Show notes from today's episode with additional links and resources are available on aquifer.org. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you find podcasts and follow us on Twitter to keep up with the latest news. While you're at it, if you found value in the podcast, tell a colleague and leave us a review. Until next time, be well. The Aquifer Educator Connection Podcast is a product of Aquifer your trusted source for clinical learning. It is produced and hosted by Lynn Robbins. The show's executive producer is Eileen Olszewski. Audio editing and mixing by Matt Perkins. Show artwork by Carrie Waters. Our theme music, Little Idea, is written and performed by Scott Holmes. For more information, 
please visit our website, www.aquifer.org.